0: Uh, This morning We are finishing off, as Lindsay said, our series, Dawn of a Kingdom. So we've been looking uh, in the book of 1 Samuel for the last six months or so, with a couple of breaks here and there, Um, and so it's been quite a long book, quite a long series, and today we're coming to an end. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the end, so we get we kind of cap off the narrative if you like, but then I'm going to do a bit of a sort of summary, um, looking at the book as a a bit of a whole, um, if that's okay. So um, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 31 from verse 1, and I think the words are going to appear on the screen behind me. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua and the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. It's not looking good for Saul. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. So, this essentially is just ending Saul's reign. So, Saul has been king over the vast majority of the time that we've been looking at. Um, And I think this fairly graphic account is that we can be pretty sure that Saul is done and his kingdom is over. Um, And as I said, so this brings to the end Saul's reign. And what I wanted to do this morning is just have a look at Saul's reign. in this time, um, and some of you might have some sort of alarm bells ringing, like we're going to look at a nation and a ruler, it sounds a lot like a history lesson, Uh, don't worry, I feel like God's got a lot that he wants to teach us about our own lives, how we view ourselves, um, what we look for and how God can help us, so that's why we're going to be doing it this morning. And what I wanted to focus on primarily is the turning point in this book, where the people of God come to God and say, we want a king over us. Because it all happens in um, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And at this point, God's people do not have any, they're occupying um, the land that God has given them, but they don't have a human king that reigns over them. And they feel like they should have one, and every other nation around them does have a king. And God is meant to be their king, but they come to God and say, no, we want a human king. We don't just want you as our king. We want a human king as well. And for my money, I don't know if they get the tone quite right when they come to God with their request, because they essentially come to God and say, we want a king. And God says, okay, why do you want a king? And the people say, well, because every other nation has a king. And if you are a parent, you know then the appropriate response to that is, well, if every other nation wanted to jump off a bridge, would you also... (laughs) And the way in which they phrase it, you could read it as they just essentially see that having a king is basically the craze of the time. It's like having a king is essentially the fidget spinner of 3,000 years ago. But actually, there's a much deeper, and much more profound reason why they ask for a king. And it's because they have a deep need within themselves. The people are feeling a, deep, a need really intensely. They're feeling fearful because all the other nations look like they're oppressing and, and coming in on them. And they want the security that they think having a king will have. And to their mind, they have convinced themselves, they've got to the point where they're like, the only way that we will ever have this security that we crave, the only way we'll ever be released from the fear that we're in is if we have a king. To the point where they then happily come to God and say, look, we're sorry, God, we don't know if you're going to come through for us here. And so we've got this master plan. If you give us a king, all of our needs will be met. And I actually think that we can often feel a similar way. Have you ever had the feeling, or perhaps even said, if only I had such and such, my life would be complete. Yeah. If only I had this, if only I could do this, if only this was part of my life, all of my problems would be solved. That's essentially what the people of God are saying here. And Saul, God gives them a king, a king called Saul. And I think for us, I mean, whatever our needs are, the reason that we say, if only I had this, is because we feel a deep need. Maybe we feel a deep need to be loved. And we think the only solution that I can possibly see to this deep need is if I was to get married. But like if I was married, my life would be complete. Or maybe we feel a deep need for security. And we think, "Oh, if only the only way that I can see that I would feel secure and feel comfortable is if I had plenty of money in the bank. So I'm just going to give my life to getting as much money as I can because that's the only way I'll feel secure. Or perhaps you feel like you can't accept yourself or can't love yourself, and you think the only way that I'll ever be able to love myself is if I slim down a bit, lose a few pounds, tone up. And that's exactly what's going on here for me, and I never thought this would be the case. But for me, the need that I felt Came really apparent to me when my son Jackson was born. He's five months old now, um, and he came into my life. And I found myself thinking, I will never, I, I, the only way that I can feel value and meaning in my life now is if I'm just the perfect dad for Jackson. That's the only way that I'll ever feel like my life really means something, is if I just absolutely nail it at parenting him. If I'm just really, really, really good at being a good dad, then I'll feel like my life has meaning and purpose. It was such a temptation. I started to realize these feelings of, I'm only going to have value if I do well at parenting him. And I just thought, well, the pinnacle of success for me now would be if I get my hands on that world's best dad mug. And you see how it's similar to how, God, how the people of God treated their situation with asking for a king. Like, well, we're not necessarily even like totally turning our back on God and saying we really don't want you to have anything to do with our life anymore, God. But what we are saying is essentially I've got this master plan and I can only really see this deep need that I'm feeling being met if I was to pursue my own master plan of how I'm going to get there. And for the people in the kingdom of Saul, Saul looked like the answer in the early days. We learn about him in uh, chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. We hear that he is a head taller and the most handsome man, which apparently is an important characteristic for a, a leader in, the, in those times. And they looked at him and thought, well, here's our guy. Like, he is gonna provide everything we could possibly need. He looks wonderful, and indeed, Then the next chapter, 1 Samuel 11, he provides a great military victory, and the people of God get that feeling that they're, they're like, we, we went after this, we made our master plan, and they get that feeling of security. They get that feeling of, oh, we're not scared anymore. We've got our king. They're high-fiving each other, patting themselves on the back. This is such a good move. We're so shrewd and strategic that we kind of... God wasn't quite... He's a good God, but he wasn't quite going to provide for us here, so we kind of made provision for ourselves. Yes. And we might think then, well, the longer that this continues, surely... The the people of God will just continue to feel less fearful, freed from the fear that they had. They'll continue to feel more and more secure just the longer that they spend in this kingdom of Saul that they have created for themselves. Well, chapter 12, the following chapter, they are told, do not be afraid. Chapter 13, the chapter after that, people of God hiding in caves because they're so scared and the troops that are with Saul are described as quaking with fear. Chapter 17, a bit later on, Saul leads them into another battle and we learn that the people of God were greatly afraid. And then we saw it just in the reading earlier, right at the end of the book. It continued right through Saul's reign. His armor bearer feared Greatly. And you think, hang on a second, this is the one thing that they were like totally sure. They set this plan in motion. They convinced themselves we will be free from fear. Our needs will be met. We will be a secure people so long as we have a king. And they didn't even get the one thing that they set out to achieve by installing Saul as their king. Fear remained a characteristic of who they were as a people throughout the whole of Saul's reign, aside from that initial buzz of, oh, there's one victory. And I I wonder if, I'm sure, that every time, because they had that initial feeling, and they think, Saul can come through for us, every time he went into battle, or every time he made a decision or did something, I'm sure the people of God were thinking, Maybe this time, maybe this time he'll do something that brings us back into that place of feeling secure, that takes all our fear away. Maybe he'll, do, maybe he'll get it right. We're so sure. that They had all of their eggs in the Saul basket. They were so sure. They just remained convinced that this is the solution to our problem. Living in the kingdom of Saul will solve the problem. But as we see throughout his whole reign, Not once did that happen. And we think, surely, after that initial time of elation and security, and yes, all is definitely the answer, and then it fell downhill downhill very quickly, after that, you think, well, a sensible thing for the people of God to do would have been to realize, oh, actually, we had this master plan. It didn't really work out. Sorry, God, we'll come back to you, and we'll look elsewhere for something that can fill this need. That we have, But they didn't. They just like, were so convinced that this idea that they had of what could meet their need would be the answer. But not only did they not get the very thing that they set out to achieve by asking for their own king and living in the kingdom of Saul, but we see in chapter 8, God provides a, essentially a summary of what the kingdom of God that the kingdom of Saul will look like for the people. I won't read it all, but I'll just read from verse 15. Listen to how many times you hear the phrase, he will take. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and the olive... Orchards and give uh, them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. Message over and over and over again that God says, this is what the reign of Saul over your life will be. He will take, he will take, he will take. It is going to be a costly thing for you. But they didn't listen to God. At the beginning of when they, they said, no, we still want a king, because they were so utterly convinced that he would deliver the very thing that they want. But not only did was that not only did the kingdom of Saul not give them the very thing that they so craved, but it cost them an awful lot in the process. I think that there is much wisdom for us here as we kind of look at our situation in parallel and how we can put ourselves in a kingdom of Saul and think, this is the only answer for this need that I'm feeling. When I live in my kingdom of Saul, of, or I'm tempted to move into and allow myself to live in this kingdom of Saul that I create for myself of being a perfect dad will be the only way that I'll feel fulfilled. What I do is I... I start off in quite a similar way to how the people of God did. It looks good to begin with. I do something with Jackson, maybe make him laugh or whatever, just like do a, a good bit of parenting. And I feel like, yes, like this is the answer to my problem. This is how like, I will forever now get my feeling of value and meaning in my life. I have found the solution. But then because I've made such ridiculously high put such a ridiculously high expectation on myself of I will be the perfect dad, of course I then make a mistake. And if you're you're tying so much of yourself to being a perfect dad, then the feeling of inadequacy when you don't feel like you've nailed it is just totally painful. And instead of doing what the people of God should do and thinking, oh, it felt good to begin with, and it felt like I was going to get this feeling, but now I've realised actually I've made a bit of a mistake, I'll just back out and move away from this kingdom that I've created for myself and try something else, I, just like the people of God, I just get so consumed with the idea of, no, I'm so sure this is the way. I'm so sure that being the perfect dad will indeed provide the feeling of meaning and purpose in my life. And so I just try thing after thing after thing continually seeking after that feeling of I am a good dad that will make me feel like, ah, oh, yes, I have purpose. And so I, I don't know, there's all sorts of different things that I do. They sort of notice he's got a rash or something and think, oh, is that normal? Oh, I better, like, how can I, how can I just nail this rash situation that's going on? Maybe I'll just go away and spend a lot of time worrying about it. Maybe that will solve it. All right? I think, oh, Weaning's a thing, isn't it? Maybe if I just absolutely nail weaning and Google, like, when should I be weaning and how do I wean, and also, what is weaning? <laughs> maybe if I just nail that, then I'll get that feeling. Or schools, like he's only five months old, but maybe if I just get a jump on the whole school situation, I'll feel like I'm just really on top of it all and feel like the perfect dad and feel like I have true purpose. And before you know it, you just go so far down this rabbit warren that you think, oh, well, playmats. Maybe if I don't get the perfect playmat, he'll never fulfill all of his potential. And so you find yourself at 3 a.m. on Mum's Net looking for the perfect playmat. If you don't know what Mum's Net is, it's uh, a website that insecure parents sometimes look at. <laughs> I just put so much pressure on myself, and just like the people of God. I'm seeking after this feeling, and I've created this kingdom of soul for myself, thinking, well, the, the whole purpose of this kingdom is to meet this need, and I'm not even getting that need met. I'm just chasing after that feeling, chasing after that feeling, and never really getting satisfied. I have moments where it's like, oh, yeah, I've done a good bit of parenting, but then quickly replaced by a feeling of inadequacy or getting something wrong. Well, I should be thinking about that. Maybe I should worry about that a bit more. And just like the people of God, not only do I not get the very thing that I've set out to focus on and achieve and receive, but it ends up costing me a lot as well. Just like the people of God. It will take, it will take, it will take. This kingdom, living in this kingdom will cost you a lot. The more I go down this and just think, "Oh, maybe if I just chase after that feeling, I'll get it, I'll get it. I look back and think, actually, hang on a sec. I don't actually feel any more purposeful. My life's got any more meaning. And actually, the journey that I've come on has cost me an awful lot. It's cost me time. It's cost me energy. It's been anxiety-making. I just lost myself in the anxiety. It's cost me in my relationship with other people I haven't so focused have I been on trying to be the perfect dad haven't focused on my marriage. It's cost me there. I've totally lost focus on all of the other areas of responsibility that God has given me, all of the other things that he's called me to do, just to focus on getting that feeling of security and purpose. And the more that we allow ourselves to live in this kingdom and allow it to take from us, take from us, take from us, it just as it says at the end of verse 17, as God's telling the people this is exactly what it's going to look like, he ends by saying, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. It actually, in seeking after this one thing and just focusing on it, just thinking, if I just... Devote all of my energy and attention to getting this thing. Not only do you not get it, not only does it take from you, but it actually just leads to slavery. It just leads to you being in bondage to just, I'm going to just keep chasing after it, hoping to get something, and never really getting there. I mean, if 3 a.m. on Mum's Net isn't slavery, I don't know what it is. It's all a trick. It's all just a total ruse, like this kingdom of soul mentality that we can find ourselves in, where we think, if I can just... We think, if I focus on the one thing, then surely I will get that. And it just doesn't work like that. That is the whole way that we can find that we're living our life, just focusing, and in the end, it just takes and takes and takes. And this is the summary. If you want a summary of what uh, Saul's kingdom looks like in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, it is that Saul takes. But the reality is this, the whole system is broken. This isn't just one kingdom that we can kind of apply a little bit to our lives. But actually, this whole system of kings was broken. Because if it doesn't actually really matter how good a king Saul was. You might think, oh, surely if Saul was just a bit of a better king, maybe the people of God would have had them, their feeling of wanting security, and they would have been set free from fear. But actually, no, they never actually would have had that feeling of security met doesn't matter if I could really, really work hard and be a really good dad. You might think, well, surely Dunga, if you're just a bit of a better dad. Actually, you would feel really secure if you just nail it across the board, but it's just not possible, and I never would have that feeling of wanting purpose and meaning in my life met. Luckily, though, God knew that this whole system was broken. And throughout the whole of the Old Testament leading up to this point, time and time again, a king has been promised. And even actually as recently as chapter 2 in the book, a young girl called Hannah sings out a song to God and finishes it like this. She says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed Throughout the Old Testament, a king is promised who will come and help, genuinely help his people. And he will be the anointed one, the chosen one of God. And so this is then, six chapters later, we get Saul, and we think, is Saul really the fulfillment of this? Is Saul really the king that has come? It doesn't seem like he's helped his people in any way at all. But actually, as we go on through the Bible, we realize that this isn't, the king that was promised. Saul was not the king that was promised. Even David, the best king that God's people ever had, was not the fulfillment of this promise. Because this kingdom and our problems doesn't just need a slightly better king. It doesn't just need someone that is a a, a perfect version of that or that is able to do it in a much better way and serve God's people in a better way. It actually needs a whole different type of king in a whole different type of kingdom. The king that was promised was not coming to do a better job than Saul did. He came to totally revolutionize the king system entirely. It's a king who Tim Chester says in his commentary, came to turn the whole world upside down. God's chosen king, God's anointed king, was his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent into the world. And as he bursts onto the scene, proclaiming his kingdom in chapter 1 of Mark, just 15 verses into Mark's gospel, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. He is proclaiming a totally new type of king and a totally new type of kingdom has arrived. And in many places in the Bible, he lays out exactly what he's done, what type of king he is to be, and exactly what type of mission he has come to accomplish in bringing about his kingdom. But there's no better place where it's summed up than later on in Mark's Gospel, where Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. He didn't come whilst Saul's kingdom and all of the other kingdoms that are a type of Saul's kingdom, are kingdoms that take from us and take from us and take from us. Jesus' kingdom, he's not a king that has come to take. He's a king that has come to give. While all other kingdoms take and take and take until they enslave, Jesus' kingdom gives and gives and gives. And so he empowers And as he continued to say and lay out exactly what his kingdom would look like, he didn't then just leave it at all talk. I mean, anybody can talk a good game, can't they? Anyone can say the right things. But Jesus backed up his message of, I am going to give, I am going to give, I'm here to give to you, I'm here to serve you by giving the most precious thing to him. He gave his life. He laid down his life to show that his type of kingdom was a totally different type of kingdom. But he didn't just come to be a humble sacrifice, a good man who lays down his life. He came to show that he wasn't just a humble sacrifice, but also a conquering king. And so just as he was able to lay down his life in service, so he was able to take up his life and ascend to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, glorious and majestic, so that he can sit forever, having established his eternal kingdom, where he now sits as the eternal giving king. He now sits at top, on the top of his throne, so that he can give and give and give forever. While all other kings in our life, all other things that we might focus on, might ascend to the top of the throne in our lives, and, we might, and might take our focus and promise so much, but in the end just rob and enslave us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, ascended to the throne where he now sits and just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. That is the kingdom of Jesus. And we might think, that sounds great, that sounds like a kingdom I want to be part of, but how does Jesus actually meet all of these needs that I have? Well, they asked exactly the same question with Jesus on the earth. They were asking, how can you you actually provide sustenance for me? How can you actually provide for the need that I have to be loved and accepted? How can you actually provide the need for security that I have? Well, Jesus answered just like this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. All of your needs will be met. If you just seek first my kingdom, then all of your needs will be met. If you seek first me, you'll find you've got everything you need all of the needs that we might have. Whatever needs, We're sat, there's so many people here, so many needs represented in this room that you're feeling keenly and you might think, that oh, the temptation's so real, isn't it? To think, I'm feeling this need. I must go for this. This is the only thing. I'm struggling to pay my rent. I'm struggling to pay my mortgage. How, how can I I just need to, to seek after money? I just need to seek after money. I'll trust you and everything else, God, but I just need to, to do this. So hard, isn't it, to think to, to say no to that temptation and look to Christ. But he promises, if you seek first his kingdom, all of your needs will be met. I can't say it more plainly than this. If we have a need that we are feeling, however keenly, however desperate we are to look elsewhere, if we focus and come up with a plan that we think, well, this will definitely fill that need, if we focus on filling a need that need will never be filled. But if we take any need that we have and instead of coming up with our own master plan, come to Christ and choose to put Him back on the throne of our lives, then not only will the, the keen need that we are feeling right now be met, but every other need that we could ever have. Hallelujah. And Jesus frames it, though, as a choice. It's a choice that we all here today have to choose to make. It's not just going to happen. We need to choose to put Christ on the throne of our life. And it takes, that takes courage, doesn't it? It takes trust. Because, as I said, it, we can't always see exactly how he's going to meet, his need, meet our needs. But the promise is he will. And as we've seen, there's no other way that we're going to see our needs met. Because every other route just leads to loss. And for some of us who are struggling with a deep need, maybe feeling lonely and you just think, will Christ actually meet my need of friendship? Yes, he really will. But it's a discipline, isn't it? To keep daily, maybe even hourly, saying, no, I'm not going to give in to the temptation that's trying to take me away. I'm just going to keep focusing on Christ. And I found that as I have continued to discipline myself in the same way and say, look, I'm going to focus on you, Jesus, even in the midst of having a son and thinking, surely just looking after him will provide the need that I feel. I felt, actually, no, I found an even deeper meaning than I find even in the best moments with my son. I find that my purpose is has been given by Christ in his kingdom to just enjoy him, to worship him, to live a life that honors him, that he's given me a role in his kingdom that will truly make a difference, not just on this earth, but in the kingdom of God that has eternal worth. And I find my needs in a deeper way in him. And also, it actually makes me a better dad in the process. Because actually I become a better man when I find my needs in Christ I become less anxious, less tired, less overbearing as a parent. And I'm set free. He gives me freedom. I'm not enslaved anymore, so I'm a free man. I'm free from mum's net. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm free to love my wife as I should. I'm free to love my son in a way that God the Father loves his son. And so when I find all of my needs met in Christ, not only does it benefit me, not only do I find a deeper satisfaction, but it benefits Hannah, it benefits Jackson. When we find our needs met in Christ, it benefits us, and it benefits all of those around us. So how do we seek his kingdom? I'll just finish with this. As I said before, it is simply a choice. We make an active decision, I am going to choose to seek the kingdom of God. And then it is simply a case of getting to know our king. Because he is not a distant king, he's not a king that is hard to get to know. All he wants from us is to talk to him, to sing to him, to read about him to allow ourselves unrushed time, undistracted time in his presence. No smartphones, no nothing, just in his presence, getting to know our king. Allowing him to speak to us, listening to his voice, being obedient to the things we think he's talking to us, spending time in and with his church. That's what it looks like in our life, to seek the kingdom. And if we make those steps then we'll find that all of our needs have been met. Rick. So this brings our series looking at Saul's kingdom to an end. As we read at the beginning, Saul's kingdom very much has ended. And also in Christ, Saul's kingdom has ended in that he has fulfilled what it really means to live in a kingdom that nourishes and gives to us. The kingdom that we have seen dawning over the last six months very much is not the type of kingdom that we should be trying to live in. It's a kingdom that promises so much but actually then ends up costing so much as well and giving us nothing. But through Christ, we have met the promised king, the one who was spoken of, the anointed king himself, who has brought us in a kingdom that serves us, gives to us, releases us, and empowers us, and where we find the meeting of all of our needs. Let's sing.